Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 13th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. We are back after being gone last week. Let me first apologize to all of you that were looking for our 1968 trip to the past last week. We had a malfunction with the flux capacitor and the CIO time machine and had to run the 1964 show instead. The 1968 show is going to be run on July 27th at 7 p.m. and then again on August 1st, Colorado Day, at 7 p.m. So don't miss it. It is truly uh, a labor of love for us and our finale of our Time Machine episodes. Colorado Insight will carry on, but it is our last Time Machine show, again on the 27th at 7 p.m. and on August 1st at 7 p.m. Okay, let's get a quick take on President Donald Trump nominating Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court to replace the retiring Anthony Kennedy. Patty Calhoun from Westward. We've been off for a couple weeks. We haven't had a chance to tackle this yet. We knew that Anthony Kennedy was retiring last time we spoke in June, but now we know who will at least be submitted as the nomination for confirmation. Do you expect a big confirmation fight over Brett Kavanaugh? Did you watch the FBI hearings over the last two days? Of course it is going to be a huge, huge fight. I hope no one impugns his relationship with his wife, but it is going to be ugly. Uh, really, with Neil Gorsuch, I think we got the best that anyone who didn't vote for Donald Trump could assume we would get. Uh, he, um, I'm a little concerned when he says, you know, judges don't make law. Well, clearly, according to the ACLU and many others, Judges have made law, especially in the case of First Amendment free speech issues. So we got a long time, maybe 30, 40 years, to see how he does. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. You are our esteemed lawyer at the table. Uh, I saw something on social media about you being a fan of uh, a dissent opinion that Brett Kavanaugh wrote before. Uh, illuminate us there and your opinion of the nomination. Well, he... Uh, cited my law school textbook in his uh, dissenting opinion on a, a Second Amendment case. So, of course, I, I, I think he's a genius. Uh, <laughs> and he's, o he's only the second justice in Supreme Court history to have cited me before coming on the court. Um, you know, after nice. that, that's, that happens more often commonly, but he's, he's only the second to, to come in with such a fine record. Uh, nobody in the history of the Supreme Court has ever been as good in the First Amendment as Justice Kennedy. Uh, but Kavanaugh's record uh, as a on the D.C. Circuit is, is very very strong on that issue. Uh, I, I think he's, he's exceptionally well qualified. Of course, people can disagree with his philo judicial philosophy if they want to vote against him for that. That's fine. You know, that, that's what the Senate's advice and consent duty can, can include. Uh, I, I think it's ridiculous uh, for people to get into character assassination and conspiracy theories and things like that. Uh, th th you don't need to go that and further degrade our, our political discourse. If you want to vote against him because he's because he's not going to be a reliable uh, upholder of Roe v. Wade, for example, for, uh, among other things, uh, go ahead. But 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 skip the uh, the lunatic stuff. Eric Sonderman, uh, political analyst. Let me ask you this, Eric. Do you think the fight uh, through the confirmation will be more about actually fighting to keep Kavanaugh from the court, or will it be about Democrats uh, really ginning up the base for November 2018? I, don't, I think that's all spaghetti and that you can't pull it apart. The answer is yes to both of those. But don't forget that as Democrats gin up their base, the Republican base also gets ginned up uh, through this process because Supreme Court appointments are probably the main thing that drew that base to Donald Trump in the first place, and, and he seems to be delivering on it. I am thankful for periodic Supreme Court nominations these days for one main reason, because they put in bold relief 
the hypocrisy of both political parties. I, I mean, there is just no principle anymore, uh, you know, whether it's the Merrick Garland thing, which is the Democratic fallback line, whether it's the Biden rule where he enunciated about election years. Uh, we can go back to Robert Bork. This is a death battle. There is no principle involved. Uh, you made reference, I think, or David, to, to lunacy or lunatics. There's going to be plenty of, there'll be plenty of substantive debate and argument here, but there will be plenty of lunacy involved, uh, fed by various websites or whatever. Uh, Democrats regard this as an almost existential threat. Uh, I think we are heading to a time, sadly, where perhaps the only Supreme Court justice who, a nominee who can get confirmed is in a situation where the president and the Senate are controlled by the same party. Uh, if this Senate was flipped one vote the other way, or two votes the other way, I don't know that uh, Kavanaugh would have a chance. Uh, and uh, to some extent, that comes home to roost on Republicans and how McConnell treated um, uh, Merrick Garland. If we're going to rein in the Supreme Court here, maybe we can become a little less litigious and, and prioritize the other two branches of government, the legislature and the executive, but that's not likely to happen in my lifetime. Krista Kafer, a columnist of the Denver Post. It's great to have you back on the panel. Uh, in, speaking of the Denver Post, you wrote a, a great piece talking about what a lot of people are talking about with this nomination, which is Roe v. Wade. Uh, share a little bit about it. Can you give us a, uh, a snippet or two from uh, your opinion there? What do you think about the nomination so far? I think about 45 years ago, the court ruled that an unborn child basically has no rights that a grown person is bound to respect. And that, that, a lot has happened since that court decision. I think it is, it is totally ripe for review. But even if Kavanaugh votes to overturn Roe v. Wade, we're still going to see abortion in this country. I mean, think about it this way. Abortions have been done, infanticide has been done since time immemorial. I mean, people get rid of unwanted children. What do we do if Roe v. Wade goes under? Well, it goes back to the states, and then you've got those battles at the legislative level. So I don't think there's really anything to worry here, whether you, whether you support Roe or don't support Roe. Kavanaugh's uh, seat on the, support, on the Supreme Court isn't going to matter as much as people say it is. But I will have to say this. There's some dark things that have come out about the man. I mean, he has racked up bills on baseball tickets. That's, you know, baseball, heroin. I mean, it's tough, right? Also, he ate spaghetti with ketchup in high school or college. And I think these things, these things could be deal breakers. The, ba the spaghetti with ketchup, holy smokes, I had yeah, no deplorable, idea. Deplorable, isn't it? Where is the press in the America? No, I love being tongue-in-cheek about this, but you know somewhere out there there is a complete conspiracy theorist going, spaghetti with ketchup! So that's all they dug up. Yeah. <laughs> if that's all you've dug up, if you're making hay over baseball tickets and ketchup, I think this man is going to get through the nomination process just fine. Hey, that's, Dominic it, is Italian. That's true. Or, He's already lost my vote. Is, I mean, the spaghetti yeah. and ketchup, that, that's a deal breaker for me. But again, my, my vote's pretty small in the, the nomination process. Let's get to it. Gubernatorial candidates Jared Polis and Walker Stapleton announced their lieutenant governor picks over the last two weeks. Both candidates chose state lawmakers. Diane Primavera will join Polis on the Democratic ticket, while Lang Sias will join Stapleton on the Republican ticket. Uh, Patty, more news came out about the Lang Sias pick only because of how the pick was presented. A little bit of Hollywood and talking points and not doing it over July 4th. But when it comes down to it, do either lieutenant governor pick matter when it comes to November 2018? No. But interestingly, I mean, this is a position that until John Hickenlooper became governor really was kind of a place filler, didn't do much except usually created some controversy over something completely inane like um, 
Lieutenant Governor Mike Callahan, who wanted, who invited Native Americans to eat Thanksgiving dinner in a Mayflower van outside the Capitol. That was the kind of thing Lieutenant Governors were doing. Uh, one wanted to uh, invest in Kenny Rogers roasters. We've had one also made Callahan. up, yeah, also Callahan, one made up a fake KKK incident. Hmm. So. We've had a lot of bad situations with lieutenant governors. We've also had great ones with Donna Good, who is doing. She might not have, she might not have come close to being the gubernatorial candidate. Donna Lynn. Donna Lynn, sorry. Donna Do-Gooder Lynn. Donna Do-Gooder Lynn. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Well, and do good tattoo Lynn. She has been doing a great job as basically the chief financial officer for the state, and it shows that the right people can do a good job as lieutenant governor. She followed in the footsteps of Joe Garcia, who did a lot for education, was a great, coolest lieutenant governor ever. So I don't see either of these um, coming close to being the coolest lieutenant governor ever. Clearly, Polis had in mind someone who would not only bolster the ticket, but get involved in one of his key issues, which is health care. Diana Primavera has an incredible backstory there. The case of Walker Stapleton just continues to show that he's doing a lot of bumbling on these announcements. Why you wait, even if it was a top secret agreement he had to not reveal his candidate during the seven days he was supposed to legally under state law, the end result was not worth the wait, and especially not when his handlers leaked by accident all the comments supporters were supposed, were supposed to tweet about what a great pairing this was. So a real stumble out of the starting gate for Stapleton. David, as you see the announcements, both with Diane Primavera and Lang Sias and how they were made, uh, does any of that tell you something about Polis or Stapleton that is important as we get to November? Yes, I think it shows good decision-making ability on both of them in being responsible about choosing someone who, if something happened to the governor, like getting appointed to a cabinet position, which has happened in the past, that this would be a person who's qualified to, to step in and, and take over as governor. Uh, in addition, when the governor is out of state, the lieutenant governor becomes acting governor, and so you want to have somebody who's got the ability to do that. As Patty said, the uh, lieutenant governor's office has over, say, the past 60 years been mixed in the quality of, of folks in it. Uh, in Dick Lamb's first term, which Eric remembers when Dick Lamb was out of town, George Brown became the acting governor and immediately issued a bunch of pardons, which... Governor Lamb ultimately ended up, ended up rescinding. Um, Polis wins on the, on the name side because Polis Primavera sounds like a great Italian dish at a restaurant, which you would not put ketchup on if here, unless here. you were some kind of Georgetown Philistine, but they're not as sophisticated as, as Coloradans, obviously. Uh, in addition, both of them have, have very well-respected state legislators. And that covers a gap that both Polis and Stapleton have. They both have extensive records in public service and public office, but neither had served in the Colorado legislature. In Colorado, the legislature has a lot of power relative to the governor, more so than in some other states. And so someone who knows how to work with the legislature is, is a very good asset as lieutenant governor. Eric, when you see these announcements, do either of them bring assets to the campaign that we'll notice that I think I saw something about Langside's hopes to bring in Jefferson County. Jefferson County isn't represented by one person, so that, that, that's difficult to do. But do either Primavera or uh, Sias do something to bolster the ticket that you can see making a difference when we're talking about this in November? No. At least 
at surface glance. I mean, let me make three points and let me try to do it real quickly. One, in terms of the respective rollout, I think I agree with what's been said. The whole Walker Stapleton, I've got a secret, I'm not going to tell you for a week, just seemed weird. Yes, it was a nice press event out over at Wings, Wings Over the Rockies when they ultimately had it. But, you know, Polis wins on the rollout. He did it in the mandated time frame, et cetera. In terms of the two people picked, I actually think, you know, maybe Stapleton wins slightly. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not overwhelmed with the Polis selection. Uh, Diane Primavera, by all accounts, has an uh, interesting life story. But in terms of picking somebody who could potentially be a governing partner, or if not a partner, at least a substantial governing asset, uh, Langsize has, to my thinking, more serious policy chops. So maybe he gets a point there. Point number three, does any of it matter? I don't think so. Uh, I would hazard a prediction that we'll be sitting around the CIO table on the Friday after the November election. And whoever wins, and whatever reasons we ascribe to that victory, the lieutenant governor will not be part of the calculation. This is going to be fun to talk about on November 12th. Uh, Krista, uh, just give us your analysis of uh, what we've seen so far, not only with just the, the names involved, but the process. And does any of this make an impact as we move forward? I don't think it makes any impact. I think Eric's right. There are other factors in play. And then, of course, my pasta joke was stolen, so I can't use that. <laughs> but I will say this. Lang Syce was a, a really good choice. He's thoughtful. He's got a real moderate temperament. He's despised by that lunatic Dudley Brown. I, he is just a really great guy. And so I think bringing, you know, having, and then perhaps having a more senior statesman um, at that seat uh, to, to kind of help Walker Stapleton with maybe some of these messy rollouts and kind of getting things a little bit more orderly could be a good thing. The Denver Police Department has opened an internal investigation into an incident where the editor of the Colorado Independent and uh, a regular uh, contributor at this round table, Susan Green, was handcuffed and detained after taking pictures of police interacting with a man on a sidewalk. David, uh, you've offered uh, some interesting analysis here as our esteemed lawyer. Give us the, some of the, the legal background that our viewers need to know. Well, the interaction with a man was a man who was naked except for like a little sort of loincloth sitting on the ground handcuffed on Colfax, the, which has long been the, the wickedest street in the, uh, the Rocky Mountain region. And so she happened to be coming by and thought that was pretty interesting. She's a journalist, and so she got out her cell phone and, and began filming it and led, then got into an argument with the cops, and then she herself ended up in, in handcuffs. I think there's a conflict of laws here. On the one hand, there is Colorado's 2015 law, uh, sponsor, uh, whose lead sponsor was State Representative Joe Salazar, which plainly says that anybody has the right to film the police in a public place as long as they're you know, not interfering with what the police are doing. That's very clear. But there's another law which the police officer in his argument with Susan Green referenced, which is called HIPAA, Health Insurance Portability and Privacy Act. And that says if you're a covered entity under HIPAA, you can't allow, you have to protect the privacy of patients. Uh, in fact, New York City, a New York hospital just got a, a $2 million uh, civil lawsuit against it, which they ended up paying, because they'd allowed patients there to be filmed uh, without their prior consent. I will say the, the law enforcement officers in my family don't routinely roll out HIPAA as some, <laughs> like, pretext for whatever they're doing. You know, and they, they wouldn't think about it at all unless they'd been trained in that. So I suspect this officer had training, according to what, what 
he said this was a medical thing they were dealing. And yeah, the guy was in handcuffs, but if you're naked on East Colfax, maybe you, you're having some mental problem or something, and it's handcuffing is for everybody's safety, including the, that individual's. You know, is the Denver Police Department a what's called a covered entity under HIPAA? Well, it's part of the Department of Public Safety, and I went to the federal government website, which gives you the test to see are you covered by HIPAA, which is A, do you provide medical services? Certainly, yes. The Department of Public Safety does that to people in the jail. Even police officers are also trained to provide basic medical services. B, do you transmit electronic medical records? Yes because they have, they'll take the medical records of what they do, and then they might transmit them to a hospital or, or anybody else. And if that's it, then you're covered by HIPAA. So it may be this officer was trained in HIPAA and thought he had to protect the privacy of this guy being filmed without consent. There's going to be an investigation, uh, which there should. But this is another example of what another uh, guest on our show, the late Ken Gordon, said based on his experience as an attorney, someone comes into your office and tells you one story before you, as a lawyer, decide where you're going to go on the case. Don't just jump off on, on hearing one side of things. Eric, I think we ought to be grateful that we think we probably have a couple of credit hours now of law school uh, training that now we've gotten, uh, we've received from David, which <laughs> I, I'm very grateful for. Um, but politically, if you're the new Denver police chief and you're just getting used to your new offices and getting assignments and, and uh, here you go, chief, here's, this just popped in as a headline. You've got a, a, a reporter in handcuffs and everything else. You're getting articles from all over uh, the country about it. How does the Denver, is Denver police handling this the right way considering the situation? Let me start with happy birthday to Susan Green. Today's her birthday so um, and uh, kudos to, to Susan as well for really being so dogged on this particular issue I don't think she ever expected driving down Colfax that day to become the story as opposed to the person writing the story but indeed she became the story no this is not what the Denver Police Department needs uh, I will let you know take the couple credit hours from David and let him opine from the legal perspective which I can't can't weigh in on uh, from a perspective of politics or policy or plain old optics, it's awful. And maybe I'm overly cynical, but I don't buy that that officer had necessarily HIPAA in his mind and was first and foremost about trying to protect uh, that individual's health care privacy rights. Uh, I think this is emblematic of too many incidents within the Denver Police Department over the last several years, as well as other police departments around the uh, state and around the country uh, trying to throw their weight around and I think they picked the wrong person to throw their weight around. We'll see what their internal investigation uh, reveals. We'll see how, whether they try to justify it and defend it or cop to it uh, and we'll see where if I know anything about the Colorado Independent, Susan Green and Tina Griego and the rest of them, they're not going to let it go and they will stay on top of it and this is one that will not just go away quietly it's going to get handled in a high-profile way. Krista, you've also taught at uh, various universities about uh, uh, media and press and a variety of other issues. You're, you're getting handed this situation. You're going to talk to your students about it. What are, what are the headlines? What do we need to know about uh, what's going on here with the, uh, a, a journalist and the police and everything in between? I would say I have sympathy for both groups here. I mean, Susan Green was doing her job, and she knows that many mentally ill people have been 
uh, either uh, received abuse or just simply not gotten the service they needed in jails, not just in Colorado, but across the country. And so she was looking out for that man. On the other hand, keeping his privacy, they're waiting for the ambulance to come. I could see the frustration on the part of the police. Handcuffing an, a, a member of the press and putting him in the car, obviously the wrong choice, but I think they were probably frustrated as well. The problem is, is if we as a society insist on keeping our mentally ill people in jails and on the street instead of in institutions where they can get the care that they need, these kinds of things are going to happen. Patty, do you go through a variety of HIPAA uh, explanations with your reporters before they get out to the uh, Denver area? Uh, it's usually Miller High Life rather than HIPAA. And in fact, I have a reporter who was in a very similar situation not that long ago. Although we, we encounter HIPAA all the time because you cannot get access to information. And I'm assuming that had things been a little calmer, Susan would have not used those photos in any case because they're not going to exploit a naked man who was having real trouble. She would have written the story, but the odds are good she wouldn't have written. The, she wouldn't have used the photos. But we had a similar situation that did not involve HIPAA. Um, I'm the only one at this table. You are a lawyer. You've taught, but I had bailed reporters out of jail on numerous occasions, including one time when a reporter had went to a concert, saw a security guard rough, roughing up a kid. Cops came. My reporter jumped in to try to take action, my Miller High Life fueled reporter at the time, and he wound up getting thrown in the clink for um, disobeying an officer. And I had to bail him out the next day. He was technically working as a journalist. He was reporting on what he saw. He unfortunately was also maybe a little intoxicated. So there are a lot of judgment calls. Basically, when you're a reporter, you go out to get the story. You work as hard as you can to get the story. But if you're drunk, maybe you should have call, call your editor and have her come. <laughs> if, if only every journalist out there was lucky enough to have Patty Cahoon as an editor. Uh, with being off for two weeks, then we have plenty of uh, opportunity for our uh, um, uh, favorite part of the show, which would, of course, be Disgrace of the Week. So, Patty, as always, uh, start us off with, uh, you have two weeks to select from. Well, I'm going to return to Colfax Avenue with a tragedy and one where, fortunately, some citizens saw what's going on because it now looks like there's a suspect in the stabbing death of Grant Reese Cobb, his great student at DSST, played on the East High School football team, looked like he had a wonderful future ahead of him. Mother runs Mobetta in this neighborhood, and he was killed outside Bourbon Grill on July 1st. His birthday is July 22nd. His, his parents ask that people just remember him with good acts. David. Well, my Diana DeGette was my dad's uh, campaign treasurer for his last two elections, so I have, I have some bias for what I'm about to say. Uh, her opponent in the Democratic primary accused DeGette of not caring about black and brown people, which is ridiculous. And then her opponent lost in a very large landslide to DeGette, which isn't uncommon when you have a popular incumbent who's been there a long time and is pretty high up in the, the, the legislative food chain and, and doing a lot for the city. But then the opponent, to be a, an especially sore loser, says that she's given up on white people. There are race baiters in both political parties in elective office in, in other states. And I'm glad that Colorado uh, is not going down that road. Eric. Amen to both David uh, and to Patty, uh, two good ones, and particularly to David's point about race baiters. Yes, uh, on the Republican side, our president has given permission uh, or cover to some very unsavory elements, and we're even seeing a few of them run for office around the country. 
but let's not forget that on the on the fringe of the democratic left there's a different kind but an equally toxic race baiting going on okay with that comment uh, a disgrace of the week probably doesn't keep up with this trump administration but uh, let me throw one out why in the world was it necessary for the trump administration to weigh in on behalf of the baby formula industry with a res to try to tank a resolution at the World Health Organization, just a resolution, not of any binding consequence, in support of the value and importance of breastfeeding. Uh, I just, it boggles my mind that the Trump administration picked that fight and decided to carry that water for the, for the baby formula industry. Krista. My disgrace of the week goes to a group called Women's March who put out their press release. They apparently hate Brett Kavanaugh. The problem is, is that they left the placeholder for his name in the <laughs> press release, meaning that they were going to send that press release out no matter who was chosen as the nominee. It's that kind of like BS that really sours people on politics. If you have a substantive, i.e. non-ketchup related or baseball ticket related, a problem with a particular judge, put that in your press release. But for Pete's sake, get the name right. Let's say something nice about somebody. Patty? Last year, the Navajo Nation bought a great swath of land by the Great Sand Dunes. And because of this right now, plans to open up oil and gas um, drilling near the Great Sand Dunes have been postponed while the government considers their ownership issues. And I think anything to delays that is good. But frankly, that Native Americans are getting a little bit back is also good. David? The University of Wyoming trustees, who yesterday unanimously uh, reaffirmed the uh, college's marketing slogan, which is the world needs more cowboys. Cowboys is the, the mascot of the school. And some faculty members who uh, I guess like to be perpetually offended uh, were trying to get rid of that because they, you know, they, they, it violated whatever snowflake values they have. So good for the, uh, the, the cowboy values of uh, the Wyoming trustees. Cow people just doesn't have the same ring to it, I understand. <laughs> Eric. The World Cup, which reaches its final uh, two days from now. It's been a joy to watch, some incredible entertainment, some incredible talent. I don't know that soccer is ever going to catch fire to that extent in this country, but uh, you get a sense of the passion that other nations uh, have for this sport, and it's been great. I, I give kudos to the CU Regents for bringing up the issue of ideological diversity. I think it's very important that the CU system bring in more conservatives, more libertarians, just to balance it and have students be exposed to a, a variety of ideas, not the primarily left ideas that that university, in some departments, espouses. I want to say something nice about the uh, folks at Regis University. Uh, Arthur Knapp was kind enough to include uh, a little article about me in the most recent issue of their alumni magazine. It was very kind and even threw in a little Regis University tie. So I figured I'd represent the, uh, uh, the, the proud university. So uh, thank you for the kind words and for uh, making that happen. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night.